It's time for Sports Wrap on 760 WJR. All right, this is the wrap on 760 WJR. To a car phone we go. Dave, thanks for hanging on. You're on 760. Gentlemen, and Stephen Dan, you got the chemistry. It's cooking. Presented by FanDuel. Download the FanDuel Sports app today. FanDuel, more ways to win. Are you calling us from your office? I'm doing Sports Center tonight. With, Are you uh, really? Dan Patrick. Well, yes. I'm very impressed. By the way, give Dan our best. He's a good man. And, I will. Uh, hey, hey, Dan. Chuck Swirsky says hi. This is the best sports rap has ever been, in my opinion. Now, here's your host, Chris Renwick. Oh, happy Saturday to you. Another edition of Sports Rap coming your way, and we've got a lot to get to today. Yes, Masters are underway. We'll get into some of the, the, the more finite details of what's going on down at Augusta tomorrow. But uh, you know, we are well within uh, now uh, Major League Baseball underway. Uh, Tigers look really good at times, not so good at, at times, been knocked around a little bit. And we're starting to kind of see some of these these young players, uh, certainly uh, Akil Badu is one of them, that that has really played well and uh, hopefully has a has a nice long future here ahead of us. I don't want to get too far ahead. Obviously, only a few games in, um, but then there are some big names down at the at the the minor league level. Guys like Riley Green, Spencer Torkelson, Matt Manning, and Parker Meadows are another couple big names. Um, and, and, and Nick and I were kind of talking, and, and you know there had been some big changes happening at the minor league level in in Major League Baseball. Um, and there was a really comprehensive piece by our good friend Lynn Henning over at the Detroit News who who put this together, and we said we got to talk to him. So, Lynn Henning, uh, welcome back to Sports Rep. Good to talk with you. Well, hi, Chris and Nick. Uh, good to talk with uh, the sports rappers here about 40 years after I first began uh, talking with uh, <laughs> Frank Beckman on Sports Rap, and then continuing on, uh, of course, through Steve and Dan and, and uh, Maz and everybody else. So uh, it, it's a long history here, and it's nice to be back with you gentlemen. Well, welcome home. Uh, welcome home. Good to have you back. So uh, there, there's been a lot of changes to Major League Baseball. Obviously, last year with the COVID, uh, the whole season was scrapped and a little bit of a later start this year, looking at uh, kind of the beginning of May before things really get going. But there was some realignment in Major League Baseball's farm system. Talk to me about what we've seen uh, specifically here with the Tigers and how they've been impacted. They no longer have the uh, Connecticut single A team because that New York Penn League uh, went down the drain. Uh, and it was all part of that streamlining that uh, saw Rob Manfred's office want to be more in control and reduce uh, the number of minor league clubs from 160 to 120. They thought that would be much more efficient, and it's probably hard to argue with them in that regard. Uh, but uh, that New York Penn League, uh, is one example, guys, uh, is, is kind of tough to see go because when players would get drafted out of college, uh, that was always a good first kind of a step to get their legs going and, and to adjust to the idea of professional baseball. Then they would move on up to West Michigan. And I thought it had its place, but I, I can't argue that uh, overall the minor leagues probably could benefit from some pairing. Uh, a, a lot more efficient use of the minors uh, is what they've got in mind. I'll keep an open mind on that. Uh, but the other big change, of course, guys, with respect to the Tigers, is that they flipped their single-A single outlets. Uh, no longer is Lakeland the high single-A stop before Erie at double-A. Uh, it's West Michigan, which was, of course, the lower-rung single-A spot. And so now they'll go straight from what you might call the minnow hatchery over there at uh, the, the, the four-quadrant fields where all of the 
kid's first workout to the main, main to the minor league field at Lakeland where the Tigers play their spring games. And after they've graduated from there, they'll go straight now to West Michigan up at Comstock Park outside of Grand Rapids. And from there, it's uh, more a geographically uh, um, concise trip now over to Erie. It, it just it makes the whole process a little more simple uh, for yeah, the minor it leaguers. And, better. It certainly flows better, yeah. I think. Um, it does, and of, also I think uh, the people, like, you know, West Michigan guys, they're going to see a, a more elevated uh, brand of baseball there. So I think it's good for them too. Yeah, and, and in terms of you, you talk about some of these guys that are going to need that that look. Uh, certainly, Riley Green has been somebody who's come along and and looked really good. There's been some progression there. Spencer Torkelson had a had a had a nightmarish kind of spring training his first go around. Um, what are you seeing specifically out of those two guys? Those are kind of the biggest names in the system right now. Uh, what are you seeing out of them, and how do you how do you see them kind of progressing uh, in the in the lower ball here? They're going to be really, really, really good. There, there's no allusion to either one of those guys, fellas. Uh, Riley Green, well, you're taking a gamble when you ever draft a, college, or a high school kid, I should say. And yet when they got him two years ago, uh, he's done nothing but uh, per, really match all of the extraordinary uh, highs that people thought he was going to show from a skill standpoint. But on top of that, he's very, very grounded. He's a, a terrific young man. And all of that makes a difference. It really does. The character thing, particularly, I think, in baseball, can be a difference maker because the game is so difficult and arduous and it's exhausting. And you're going to have terrible moments of uh, deflation and disasters <laughs> And whatnot, and you have to be mentally and, and of a character standpoint. I think have the metal uh, to to really stand up to that. Well, Riley Green's got all that, but let's get to the facts here. That his skills are exceptional. He hits, he fields, he runs, he does the whole thing. He has power, uh, and they knew what they were getting. He, he's going to be an all-star. Uh, the same will be true for Spencer Torkelson, without doubt. He had that rough spring camp, and I spoke with him. Thursday at length about that did a big story in Friday's Detroit news on it and he's a lot like Riley Green in terms of his makeup uh, he's a, a character kid but they didn't draft him because he was a good boy scout they drafted him because he could hit and hit the ball 450 feet and he's going to do that for a guy that had no minor league baseball at all last season and he went right from college straight to that uh, Tigers uh, satellite there in Toledo, uh, he really hasn't had a minor league exposure yet. And, and he got nothing of that kind during spring camp when he saw a season big league pitching. Once he begins at West Michigan, he's going to tear it up. Uh, he is really good. And uh, people are going to see that very quickly. I, I think both of those guys will probably be in Detroit uh, next year, the 2022 season at some point. Hey, Lynn, the, the next uh, part of this minor league uh, schedule, I guess, would be the MLB draft in mid-July. Tigers have the third pick, mm -hmm. and it, they kind of get a, a, a choice between one of the two Vanderbilt pitchers, uh, Jack Leiter and Kumar Rocker, or the top uh, kind of fielder and Jordan Lawler out of high school. Do you have any gauge of where they're looking at right now? I know we're still a, a little ways out from the draft. Yeah, I do, and I've been following that very closely, Nick. 
Jack Leiter is almost certainly going to be that first pick, and I think the Pirates will jump on him. I, I would be shocked if they don't with that number one pick. Kumar Rocker has not had quite the spring that was expected or that matches Leiter. And what that does to his draft order is still a bit of a mystery. Uh, but I think he is going to be more the question mark going through these final few months. That puts the Tigers in potentially on a couple other guys, and you're right. I know that they are very much in love with one of those high school shortstops, but it's not necessarily Jordan Lawler out of Dallas. I think it could be Marcelo Meyer out of California, and that could easily be the guy that they choose. Another person you've got to keep an eye on, even though he's a catcher, and they got Dylan Dingler now that they like a lot, but that's Henry Davis at the University of Louisville, who's a fantastic hitter and uh, who has a great arm behind the plate. Now, you can always settle that particular happy problem by moving one of those guys to another position, which could easily be Dingler, because he's played center field even in college. That's how good of an athlete he is. I, I don't think the Tigers are going to worry about that. They'll deal with uh, an overload at one position happily. Uh, but I wouldn't uh, bet against Henry Davis because uh, his hitting skill is really, really, really high altitude. And uh, they want primarily, they still know that they need some bats uh, to meld uh, with the pitching that they've got developing there too. So I think any of those four guys at this point, even though we're three months away, I, I think any of those uh, trio there could end up in Detroit. It's good stuff. Uh, obviously, a lot to keep an eye on. It's, it's good to have you back, Lynn, and uh, I hope you'll come back again very soon. Okay, Chris. Good talking with you and Nick, as always. Yep, thank you. There he is, Lynn Henning over the Detroit News, uh, the jack-of-all-trades for the Detroit Tigers coverage uh, over, in that out wrap, uh, over in that outlet. All right, more to come here on Sports Wrap. Uh, an incredible story. It, it involves a Michigan man and the Masters. Don't go anywhere. Randy Lewis, we'll talk to him coming up next. You're the co-host on WJR's Sports Rep. Sports Rep. Give us a call. And tomorrow we'll be at uh, Grand Blanc, Warwick Hills, for the Pro-Am. And the state of Michigan has gone absolutely bananas over Tiger Mania. Now back to more Sports Rap. 1,000 people today at 7 a.m. to watch Tiger Woods at a practice round. Presented by FanDuel. Download the FanDuel Sports app today. FanDuel, more ways to win. I haven't seen this many guys thrown out of anywhere since Dime Beer Night at the local tavern. Here's Chris. Well, of course, the Masters ongoing this weekend, and we'll get into more of the nuts and bolts uh, tomorrow. Uh, but there's an incredible story that we 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 have come across and love to 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 bring it to you because you talk about the difficulty of the game of golf and and winning tournaments at at any level is incredibly difficult. But when you start talking about the Masters and being able to play at Augusta, it, it takes it to a whole new level. Even with the, the the type of credentials and the type of of trophies that may reside uh, at your home, like a, a Michigan native, and, and we're going to take you back a little bit. So it, take you back to 2012, right? Uh, a fellow by the name of Randy Lewis, an Alma native, uh, was able to play in the Masters because he was the winner of the mid of the U.S. Mid-Amateur Championship at the age of 54. That was back in 2011. And when you win a, a, that particular championship, again, the Masters an invite only, uh, but you're pretty much going to be guaranteed 
an invite, Randy Lewis, who has a, an entire list of win sheets talking about the Michigan Amateur, uh, inducting to the Michigan Hall of Fame in 2009. You're talking GAM Championship winner, Golf Association of Michigan Player of the Year, two times in 96 and 99. I mean, I mean, the, the, the win sheet is a mile long. Randy Lewis was the guy back in 2012 able to go down to Augusta and play in the Masters in 2012. It's an incredible story, and I can't wait to hear all about it. And Randy Lewis joins us this evening on Sports Wrap. Randy, good evening. Yeah, good. Yeah, it's good talking to you. So uh, there, there's so many places I want to start. I, I kind of want to take it back a little bit before you get to the Masters. You go to Central Michigan. You play for, for a year there. You said you weren't very good. Uh, but it was after that, after your, your college experience, you really started to, to improve at the game of golf. Talk to me about uh, that process in improving from your college years uh, into your, your early adulthood and then kind of what it took for you to, to start getting into these, uh, you know, amateur championships where you did so well. Yeah, sure. So, yeah, I, I didn't start playing until I was uh, 15. And for the first number of years that I played, even in the my early college years, um, I really didn't have any instruction. I just played, uh, you know, on my own, and I had a Jack Nicholas Golf My Way book that I was trying to pattern my game after. And uh, so that's how I started out. But I was fortunate enough, um, um, Kelly Robbins is from Mount Pleasant, so Steve, her dad, was her coach. And I was fortunate enough uh, late in my, in really right, right at the end of my college days, to um, to start working with Steve on my game, and uh, he's he Roy Gunderson is is like an icon in Mount Pleasant. Who Roy gave me my first lesson, but Steve was the guy that I started working with. And uh, you know, Steve was Steve was really an exceptional instructor, but he pretty much only worked with Kelly, me, and a handful of other players. But uh, he was pretty instrumental in my original start to improving my game. Um, you know, he he gave me a lot of knowledge and. We refined my swing to the point where, um, you know, once I got out of college, I started to become a much better player, so a lot more consistent. And then, you know, over time, was able to start winning winning golf tournaments. So, but he he was an important part of that process for me. So, at what point did you decide, you know, I, I want to be a, you know, I want to be a pro golfer here. I want to take this thing to the next level. Was it 15 or was it, you know, maybe 18 or 19? Oh yeah, I think by the time I was 17 or 18, I thought, boy, wouldn't it be a great life to play on the tour? So. Um, you know, I didn't have that kind of ability level, but, um, but yeah, no, I like all young guys that start playing the game and love it. Um, you know, you have those thoughts and I actually did, uh, once I got out of college, I didn't really have a job or anything lined up. So I went to Florida, worked on the game for four months and then I played on the JC Goosey mini, mini tour for one series of tournaments. It was six weeks. I put $1,500 down, actually played well enough to get my money back, but, um, at that, right before I had left, I met uh, this young lady um, who played golf for Central Michigan, and uh, um, the attraction to be back here with her was uh, was more than trying to work on my golf game and play professionally. So it, she happens to be my wife now too. So oh, come that on. worked out good in the long run. So. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Well, so, I mean, obviously golf has been a, a, a huge part of your life, and I want to fast forward now after – uh, you know, you're out of college and you go down to Florida, you're, you're trying to refine your game a bit. Let, let's fast forward a whole bunch of years, a whole bunch of tournament wins later, a whole bunch of uh, maybe not so many shanked balls, but a lot of golf balls hit. Uh, now you're you're uh, you're in your early 50s. 
and you go and play in the U.S. Mid-Amateur Championship. Talk to me about what that particular uh, tournament is like. Um, look, that's a big-time tournament, especially when you start talking about what that gets you down the road. Uh, there, there's got to be some some pressure in that situation as well. Oh, yeah, there is. Uh, the Mid-Am has always been, uh, of the USGA events, I've played in a number of uh, different USGA events, but the Mid-Am was the one that was always, you know, the one that I wanted the most. And uh, I had actually made a, a trip to Augusta in 94 for the first time to see the golf course and go to a practice round. And, uh, you know, it was just unbelievable. I, I like I like anybody that goes to Augusta for the first time. I mean, it's just overwhelming, the perfection and, and how spectacular the whole the whole experience is so i came away with that with pretty really strong resolve to try and win the u.s mid-am and actually went to the finals in 99 and lost and uh, that that was pretty hard that was i have to tell you that affected me for a couple of years because i wanted to win so bad to get to augusta and uh that that one was tough but uh you know i never gave up and uh i continued to try and qualify for the mid-ams and then in 2011 um, you know, it just happened to be a pretty good season for me golf wise. And uh, mm -hmm. I had some help. Um, a guy out of Dallas by the name of Steven Amick, um, Ian Harris, I give Ian a lot of credit. Ian's a great senior player in Michigan, but he works with Steven and he said, you know what, you need to talk to Steven about your putting. So in August of 2011, um, I, I, I spent some time with Steven and he taught me aim point. So, cause I had always struggled to read greens properly. So Stephen taught me aim point, made a couple suggestions in my punting stroke, and I'm not kidding you, really. As, as soon as he did that, I mean, the hole became like a bushel basket. I mean, I was just making putts from everywhere, and uh, that kind of carried over into the mid-am. And when I got to the mid-am, um, it's kind of interesting, too, because, you know, normally when I go to a USDA event, I pr prepare pretty extensively. But I'm a, I'm a financial advisor, and at that point in time, um, you know, the markets were down like 25% in August. Mm -hmm. And yeah. I barely had a chance to play. And I remember going to the mid-am thinking, well, shoot, you know, I didn't really have a chance to qualify. But that might have been – or prepare. That might have been a good thing because I went in yeah. there pretty relaxed, and I was just thankful to be there. And, and so what would you shoot? What would you shoot at the mid-am that you won that year? Um. You know, it's match play, so I actually barely made it into the match play field. I remember <laughs> I got in my last qualifying hole. Yeah, some of it's a little bit of destiny, too. There's there's an additional story behind all this, too. But, um, you know, I, I hit two pretty good shots into a long par four, but I was in a right bunker, pretty tough bunker shot, got to about seven feet. And I remember thinking as I'm getting over that putt, well, you know, just put a good roll on it. Even if you don't make it, you probably qualify. Well, I made it, but, I mean, it barely toppled in. And as it worked out, that one shot was critical because there was 20 guys for four spots. If I'd have been a stroke higher, and I probably wouldn't have made it. So Unbelievable. Um, so, so obviously you were – you were when you went to the practice round a, a few years earlier, the just the sheer gravity of Augusta was, was enough to give you some, some momentum to try to get there. Then you finally make it. You win the U.S. Mid-Am. You, you make it to Augusta. You get the invite. Then you're at the Monday practice round before the tournament starts. You're playing in a foursome, as I understand it, with Tom Watson, Andy North, and Martin Keimer. How did that happen? Yeah, so that so actually, I you know, Watson was a real inspiration to me because when he won the Mid-Am, or the, when he almost won the British Open in 2009, you know, that kind of made me look at things a little bit differently, too, and I think a lot of other people that, you know, age doesn't, doesn't it? Well, 
at some point it catches up with you. But I think people are capable of a lot more than what they think at an extended age. And uh, so that was a real inspiration to me. So um, after I had qualified, I wrote Tom up. I didn't email him. I just wrote him. I got his address. I wrote a handwritten note. I just, you know, told him, you know, how I'd admired his career and how much he inspired me with his British Open, you know, performance. And, you know, if he'd consider playing a practice round with me. And uh, it was really cool because I didn't hear from him for quite a while. But I was down in Florida working on my game, and my wife called and said, guess what showed up in the mail today? (laughs) So it was a handwritten note from Tom, and it just said, Randy, 8 a.m. Monday morning, April, whatever. Augusta <laughs> National first tee. Be there. Looking forward to meet you, Tom. Oh so. my goodness, that's wild. <laughs> it it, so it's cool. it's incredibly wild. And and then once you pair, I mean, well, you're talking about some of the the, the best golfers ever, uh, and you're going to get to play a practice round with them at Augusta ahead of the the Masters is just unbelievable. So uh, y- it, it's it's uh, tourney time. It's it's uh, Thursday morning. You're getting ready to tee off. You, you get ready on one. You tee the ball up. You're, you got your driver. What are you thinking uh, back on that oh, Thursday in April of 2012? <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, one of the most nervous moments you could ever have in your life. So, you know, as soon as I had won the mid-am, um, I didn't think about that night. the night after I won it because we went out and had a nice celebration had fun. But from I'm not kidding you. From every day on until I walked into that first tee, that's all you can really – every day you think about that first tee shot. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's pretty stressful, <laughs> but my my partners did did me kind of a little bit of a favor. So I played with Jose Maria Alisabo and Robert Gerges, and I was the third player to hit. Thank goodness it was a a morning too, so I didn't have to think about things too long on Thursday morning. Right. But so Olazabo gets up and he hooks it into the trees on the left. Gerges blasts it way right into the trees, and so as I'm seeing my ball up, I'm thinking, okay, I can handle this. I can. <laughs> These guys have at least. Made it look, you know, a little bit more palatable for me, and I, I drilled my first tee shot right on the middle, so that was fun. But that was a relief to get that tee shot out of the way. So. It's incredible, you know. It, it, there, there is such a gravity again to that place. It's, it's. It, you're right. When you're when you're teeing off earlier, it probably is better for the nerves. What do you remember about playing in those two games? I, I know they didn't go exactly ha- as you you wanted. You you didn't make the cut. You finished plus fifteen. You started day two on that Friday with six straight pars. Um, but uh, what do you specifically remember about those two days? Like what sticks out the most? Oh, I mean, it was just how fast it went. I mean, it's just, uh, it, it, it was just so much fun to, to be in that atmosphere with the crowds there. I mean, you, they were there in the practice round too, but it's a different environment when the tournament starts and, uh, amazing how much different the golf course is, especially the greens, um, not necessarily the golf course, but the greens, the greens pick up a lot of extra pace from even from Wednesday to Thursday because they've got that sub air system. So they're much quicker. So it's a little bit different golf course, but I just, I just couldn't take my eyes off the whole setting, right? Every hole. I mean, you got people and, and it was amazing. I mean, I thought I would skate through Augusta relatively um, unnoticed (laughs) and I mean, there were so many people there because of my age that were just cheering me on. And we had a bunch of people from El- the Alma area, family and friends, you know, cheering me on. It was it was just amazing. It was just a great just a, it was just a great feeling. I mean, irregardless of what I was shooting, I, every every hole I would talk to my kid and I'd go, can you believe this? I mean, just look at this. It was, it was unbelievable. So, you know, uh, uh, unlike most of us hacks, we've never uh, we never have played at Augusta and probably never will. What, what do people not understand about that golf course? Not only that makes it so special, but that we just can't comprehend or we don't see on television. What, what makes it different than maybe another golf course? 
Yeah, it's it's the movement to the ground. Augusta is so hilly, I, and you can't see that on TV. In fact, the first time that I saw it in '94, I was stunned, and then kind of re-stunned in twenty you know twenty twelve when I showed up there to play practice rounds. How hilly it is! I mean, it's a hard walk. I kind of anticipated when I went there that every time I showed up, I was going to try to play at least thirty six holes. That didn't happen. I mean, this thing is like <laughs> up and down. So there's a lot of movement to the golf course, and and you don't there you don't there's a lot of shots at Augusta that are you're never hitting off a level lie. You're uphill, you're downhill, you're side hill, mm. uh, especially when you you know you're not hitting at 330 yards like you know I, I was hitting at like 245 on the carry. So sure. that's a, a different golf course for me, but uh, a, a lot of movement to the ground, and the green complexes are just so challenging. I mean Augusta is really a a second shot golf course, but to be able to access the pin positions, you really do need to be able to hit it high and with some spin because you can't get it into the right places unless you can do that. I mean, you just can't come in with a, a lower flighted ball. It, it needs to be up in the air because the the proper place to be on a hole is relatively small if you want a realistic birdie pot. So sure. um, those things make it real difficult. Plus, it's it's incredibly long. I mean, when you I mean, we played it from seven. 7,450 yards, which was really long. And it had rained that week on Monday night, Tuesday night, and pretty hard on Wednesday late in the afternoon. And uh, so it was all carry. So, I mean, I was hitting hybrids, even three went into 18. I mean, it was like, it, wow. it was, it was, it was a long golf course for me. So, so have you, have you been back since uh, that, that uh, we tournament did. you yep. played in 2012? Yep, my wife and I and uh, my youngest son, we went back in 2017 to a practice round. So cool. it was fun. But, you know, I have to tell you, it's, it's never the same. Once you're inside the ropes, it's not quite, <laughs> not quite the <laughs> yeah. same. It loses its luster a little bit. That's unbelievable. <laughs> but it's Crazy. still pretty special to be there. So beautiful. And it's just it's yeah. sheer perfection. It's unbelievable. Yeah. Well, Randy, uh, look, it, it's been a lot of fun kind of digging into your background here and and, and learning about this this journey that you've taken uh, or you took, I guess, um, from from winning that mid am in 2011, and then and then taking it over to Augusta. It's incredible. I, I uh, incredibly envious, and we will live vicariously through you. All right. Well, it was nice talking to you. All right, Randy. Thanks so much. There he is, Randy Lewis, uh, the Michigan native who won the mid am back in 2011, and then played at Augusta in 2012. An incredible story. More to come here on Sports Right Now. more sports rap let's take you now to the podium and lions owner bill Ford. presented by fanduel download the fanduel sports app today fanduel more ways to win right now wayne fonts and his staff are no longer the coaches of the detroit lions here's chris renwick it's a great weather this week uh and uh you know i think there's there's a certain set of of rules that you need to follow as a bunch of, uh, you know, hat golfers. <laughs> and, and I think it's important. I think it's important that we follow this set of unwritten rules. Speak for okay? yourself. Well, I, fair enough. Um, but for me, the, the, the thing is, so let me tell I, I, I don't know if I told you the story, Nick, but I want to share it with, with you and the rest of the, our fine audience, because something happened to me when I was golfing the other day that drove me, up a wall 
I was I was almost in a blind rage on the golf course. So um, really nice. When it was well, I don't know uh, Wednesday. No, thir- uh, yeah Wednesday. I go golf and beautiful day. I actually thought it was going to be way more busy, but it wasn't. Um, the I only had I had nobody behind me all day, um, and I just went by myself. Nobody could go after the show, so I I went and played. And I had nobody behind me, so I was never in a rush. Um, but I did have a twosome in front of me. And I don't think anybody was in front of them. Um, and we kind of were, were playing at a relatively fine speed, okay? And it's, there, there was two of them, one of me. We weren't you know, doing anything crazy. So I would try to give them their space, right? Unwritten rule. Give them their space. I'm not really hitting into them. I'm not doing anything crazy. I'm just letting them play their game. You might be hitting so, into the guys like next to them, like two, two fairways over. That's a different story, <laughs> but but I'm only worried about the people in front of me. I'm only trying. I'm trying to go forward. I'm not trying to yeah. go side to side, but that usually is what happens. <laughs> so um, at one point, I get to a hole and I'm waiting for him to clear. I, I it was a par five. I hit, and um, and they're still on the green, so I'm just kind of waiting, whatever. And um, so I uh, they clear the green. I get up there. I finish and I and the the tee box for the next hole is right near the green. All right, so I'm just kind of waiting for him to finish hitting off the tee, and I'm just at this point again. I got nobody behind me, so I'm just kind of putting around on the green, waiting for him to be done. So I start seeing them hit multiple balls, and there's only two of them, but now they're hitting three balls each, and I'm like, okay, you see me. I'm done. I'm putting around, waiting for you to be done. Now you're hitting multiple balls. So I kind of got a little angry. I didn't say anything, but I was not real thrilled. So then I uh, they clear the tee box after hitting six balls. I get up there, and I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to kind of hit into them now. Now I'm a little angry. So I get up there, and I rip a drive. It was beautiful. It was deep. It was probably 300 yards on a rope in the center of the fairway. So I'm going, I'm looking, I'm, I, I drive up there, and I cannot find the ball. And it was, I mean, literally there was nowhere else for it to go. It, it didn't bounce. It didn't go anywhere. There was nowhere else for it to go. It went right down the middle of the fairway. And I'm looking, I'm looking. I can't find any. I can't find the ball. I can't find anything. Finally, I look over, and these guys are standing on the opposite tee box looking at me as I'm driving around in my cart trying to find the ball, and I never found the ball. I think they took it. I think they took my ball. Because they weren't real happy that I was hitting into them. Now, I think that's on you because if you're trying to if, – if you're just putting around, I think they see that as, hey, this guy's in no hurry too. Let's just take a couple more balls off the tee. If you're in a hurry to push them, you got to get in your cart and you got to drive right up to the tee box and you got to sit there with your arms crossed and stare at them and wait. So it's my fault? Yes. I think it's no. your fault. That's, that's, that's ridiculous. Now maybe what, I wouldn't what, have taken your ball, what am but what I going to do? I want to practice my short game. I'm going to practice. Then you're not in a hurry. Game. Then 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 if you want to practice your short game, then you're not in a hurry to push them. Well, that's okay. That's then you valid, shouldn't be mad about them taking. The they, they want to practice their driving. No, not when you got somebody behind you. If I if, if somebody was behind me, I wouldn't be hitting on the. I wouldn't be putting around. I'd be getting my car waiting. Yeah, I think it's on you. Well, that's not the way I expected this to go. <laughs> I was going to get a little solidarity here. Apparently not. Tough I would not have taken your ball. Well, okay, fair enough. I'd uh, give you a nice that's... stern look, though. <laughs> yeah, I gave them a nice stern look. All right, more to come here on Sports Wrap. Coming up next on WJR.
Now back to more Sports Wrap. Presented by FanDuel. Download the FanDuel Sports app today. FanDuel, more ways to win. Here's Chris Renwick. All right, welcome back. Obviously, things are getting back to normal a little bit. I mean, we're starting to see it. Even at Comerica Park, you got some people get 20% capacity able to come and watch a Tiger game. Um, and and I know, Nick, you were uh, you went to a game this week, uh, and that was your first game in forever. Yeah, I went the same uh, what, day you were playing golf. Like? Yeah, I went on Wednesday. Oh, okay, all right. Uh, played the Twins, and yeah. it was uh, it was awesome. I mean, it was an 80 degree day. Uh, Tigers lost, but they uh, it was a, a, a fun game to watch, and it kind of felt normal for a little bit. There was like probably five thousand fans in the stadium. Um, mostly all wearing masks. And then if you kind of weren't wearing your mask, the Tigers had an employee probably in every section who had a little sign that they would carry around in between innings saying, please mask up Detroit. And they'd politely ask people to put their mask up if they weren't actively eating or drinking. But, yeah, it was hmm. it was great. So uh, in terms of distancing, so I haven't been to a game yet yet this year, but in terms of distancing, did you feel like you had plenty of room? Yes, there was no one. I mean, it looks like you completely yeah. people up people. I think the, the closest, I think they spread everyone out by two rows. And then okay. I don't think there's any uh, in front of you and behind you. And I don't think there was anyone else in my row alongside me in my section. And then wow. you can't really sit in seats that weren't sold to you. So we bought two seats. And the seats kind of next to us were zip-tied together, so you couldn't sit in them. So it prevented people from uh, oh, congregating with their, hey, let's buy two seats here and two seats there, and we'll all sit together. No, you can't do that. Right. So oh, yeah, I, I felt pretty safe. Uh, I mean, I was outside, so I felt safe anyways. Sure. So then give me give me the play-by-play when you when you go into the stadium. So you walk through the gates. What's kind of the protocol? Yeah, so you have to uh, scan one of those QR codes that they okay. have pretty much everywhere now and uh, take those uh, COVID uh, questionnaires about have you been in contact with anybody, and then you show that to an attendant outside uh, the stadium. And then you go through security, um, just pull your wallet out, yada, yada, and then you go – check your ticket so it's basically the same there's one more step of just the covid questionnaire that you got to do before you pass through security and you uh all right so then the 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 question i want to know and i know everybody else wants to know the important question what is the beer purchasing uh protocol <laughs> it's or, the, or, uh, or, or the adult beverage protocol it's the same i went to pay with cash at first and they were not accepting cash okay so i had to pay with a card but it is still 1075 for a nice uh, blue moon <laughs> <laughs> and <laughs> enjoyed a couple of those. But, yeah, beer is the yeah. same. Hot uh, hot dogs are the same. Most of the concession stands were open, which I was kind of surprised with. But I guess that huh. makes sense because everyone's so spread out, you can't have, like, oh, all the concessions over here or over here are closed because everyone's spread out throughout the whole stadium. So Although we were on the lower level, so we didn't go to the upper level. So I'm not sure how well, those cool. were open. I mean, that, that's that's awesome that, that it, they they can make it pretty simple at least and, and you know uh, – it's you're just you're just going into a game. It's it sounds like it's what it, yeah, it feels like. It felt so that's really good. normal. Speaking of not really normal, or at least not feeling really normal, is what we saw down at at, at the the, uh, the the Texas game. The I mean, Rangers. Oh my god. Or the the Rangers game. That was absolutely wild. And, and I never thought I'd get to a point where I'd see a stadium full of people and go, like, <laughs> "Wow, that's crazy." But it was cra- it was crazy to yeah. see that. 
Yeah, I know, and it's kind of tying into there. A lot of concerts are being uh, announced yeah. this week, and I'm like, really? There's co- like, I, it's just going to be strange when there's big <laughs> gatherings of people of forty thousand, fifty thousand people. So you feel comfortable going to a Tiger game? Would you feel comfortable going to a Rangers game? Yeah, I don't know. I'm not sure. Not as comfortable, clearly. Sure. I'm not saying I, mean, I wouldn't I, go. I think if you're vaccinated, right, like you're going. Yeah. I think I think you're going. I think if you're not vaccinated, it's certainly there's a little more touch and go there. But I mean, it, I don't know. For me, I'd probably go. Like I'm going to go to a Tiger game here eventually. But I just it was so wild. And and you talk about like the things you take for granted almost. The noise of all of those people at once was crazy. It was like, oh my god, I missed this so much. The sound of a crowd just going b- bananas. Yeah. <laughs> sound of chirping the awesome. right fielder. Right. We missed that. <laughs> right. Right. All right. Well, uh, certainly something we'll keep an eye on it as more stadiums start to open up, or at least you know keep moving on. Uh, from from these 20% protocols. All right, more to come on the show tomorrow. We'll be back at 6 o'clock. We're going to do a lot of Masters uh, and a lot of other stuff. Here on Sports Wrap, Chris Renwick and Nick Roddy, uh, Nick Roddy saying so long. Have yourself a wonderful night.